Chapter Six of the Riddle of the Frozen Flame by Mary E. Hanshu and Thomas W. Hanshu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six: A Shot in the Dark. The church clock, some distance over Hearn's Hill, which lies at the back of Meryton Towers, broke the half silence that had fallen upon the little group of men in the warm smoking room. With twelve sonorous, deep-throated notes, at sound of them, Merriton got to his feet and stretched his hands above his head. A damper had fallen over the spirits of his guests after Wynne had gone out into the night on his foolish errand, and the fury against him that had stirred Nigel's soul was gradually wearing off. Well, Wynne said twelve, didn't he? He remarked with a sort of half laugh as he surveyed the grave faces of the men who were seated in a semicircle about him, and twelve it is. We'll wait another half hour, and then if he doesn't come, we'll make a move for bed. He'll be playing some beastly trick upon us. You may be sure of that. What a horrible temperament the man has! He was supposed to be putting up with the Breliers tonight. Old man Brellier was decent enough to ask him, and possibly he'll simply turn in there and laugh to himself at the picture of us chaps sitting here in the morning and waiting for his return. Doctor Bartholomew shook his white head with a good deal of obstinacy. I think you're wrong there, Nigel. When is a man of his word drunk or sober? He'll come back, no doubt. Unless something has happened to him, at least from our sceptical disbeliever boys," struck in Tony West, raising his hands in mock horror. "Nigel, my lad, you've made an early conversion. The good doctor has a sneaking belief in the story. How now, son? What's your plan of action? Half an hour's wait more, and then to bed," said Merriton. Tossing back his head and setting his jaw, I offered Win a bed in the first place, but he saw fit to refuse me. If he hasn't made use of this opportunity to turn in at the Brellios' place, I'll eat my hat. What about a round of cards, boys, till the time is up? So the cards were produced and the game began, but it was a half-hearted attempt at best, for everyone's ear was strained for the front door bell. And every one had an eye half cocked toward the window. Before the half hour was up, the game had fizzled out, and still Dacre Wynne did not put in an appearance. Borkins, having been summoned, brought in some whisky, and Merriton remarked casually, "Mister Wynne has ventured out to try and discover the meaning of the frozen flames, Borkins." He'll be back some time this evening, or rather morning, I should say, for it's after midnight, and the other gentleman and myself are going to make a move for bed. Keep your ears peeled in case you hear him. I sleep like the very old devil himself when once I do get off. Borkins, on hearing this, turned suddenly grey, and the perspiration broke out on his forehead. Gone, sir. Mister Wynne gone, out there," he said in a stifled voice. "Oh my God, sir, it's it's suicide. That's what it is. 
and mr wynne's gone he'll never come back i swear merriton laughed easily well keep your swearing to yourself borkins he returned and see that the gentlemen's rooms are ready for em dr bartholomew has the one next to mine and mr west's is on the other side i gave mrs dredge full instructions this morning good night borkins and pleasant dreams borkins left but his face was a dull drab shade and he was trembling like a man who has received a terrible shock there's a case of genuine scare for you remarked dr bartholomew quietly drawing on his pipe that man's nerves are like unstrung wires hardly ever seen a chap so frightened in all the course of my medical career he's either had experience of the thing or he knows something about it whichever way it is he's the most terrified object i've ever laid eyes on merriton broke into a laugh but there was not much merriment in it rather a note of uneasiness which made tony west glance up at him sharply best place for you old chap is your bed he said getting to his feet and laying an arm across nigel's shoulders living down here does seem to play the old harry with one's nerves i'm as jumpy as a kitten myself take it from me when will return nigel and when he does he'll see to it that we all hear him he'll probably break every pane of glass in the place with a stone and play a devil's dance upon the knocker that's his usual way of expressing his pleasure i believe yeah here's health to you old boy and happiness and the best of luck that little ceremony being over they turned in dr bartholomew his arm linked in nigel's going with him to his bedroom and in the half-dusk of the spluttering candles they stood together at the uncurtained window and looked out in silence upon the flames the frozen flames that wynne had gone out to investigate for quite ten minutes they stood still then the doctor stirred himself and broke into a little laugh well well he said comfortably whatever our friend wynne is going to do i don't really think we need put any credence in the story that he won't return nigel so you can go to bed in comfort on that can't you merriton nodded then he yawned and shut his eyes what's that credence in the story of course not doctor i'm not such a fool as i may look wynne's playing a game on us and at this moment he is probably seated in brellier's study having a laugh at the rest of us waiting up for him anxiously like a lot of scared old women hey i'm tired you're interested in firearms doctor here's my little pet my sleeping companion you understand that has been with me through many a hot campaign he leaned over and took a little revolver out of the drawer of the little cabinet that stood by the bedside. The doctor, who had a remarkably fine collection of firearms, handled it with practised hands, remarked upon its good points, cocked the tiny thing, and then, lifting his head, looked Nigel straight in the eyes. 
"'I see you keep it loaded, my boy,' he said quietly. Merriton laughed. "'Yes, habit, I suppose. "'One needed a loaded revolver in the jungle "'where every black man's hand was against you. "'Nice little toy, isn't it?' "'Yes. Looks very businesslike, too.' "'It is. Twice now it has saved my life. "'I owe it a good turn. "'Well,' laying the thing down upon the top of the cabinet and turning to the doctor with a smile. "'I suppose you'll be turning in now. Pleasant dreams, old chap, and plenty of them. If you hear anything of Wynne—' "'I'll let you know,' broke in the doctor, returning the smile affectionately. "'Good night.' He turned and went out through the door to his own room, the next one along the hall. Nigel, after hesitating a moment, strode over to the window. It was still as black as a pocket outside, for dawn was not due for some hours yet, and against the darkness the flames still danced their nightly revel. He shook his fist at them, and then broke into a harsh laugh as the thought of Dacre Wynne came to him again. "'Dash the fellow!' He was always in some way or another intruding upon his privacy, whether it was mental or otherwise. Then, as he looked, it seemed as though a fresh flame suddenly flashed out in the velvet darkness to the left of the others. To his excited fancy it looked bigger, brighter, newer. But that was impossible. The fens were uninhabited. He watched the light for a moment or two, and then suddenly, obsessed with a strange fear, strode across the room and picked up the tiny revolver. "'Damn it, I'm going silly!' he exclaimed angrily, and throwing the window open, took aim, his brain on fire with the champagne and the excitement of the evening. "'Now let's see if you'll go, you infernal little devil!' His finger touched the trigger. The thing spoke softly. That was one of its chief attractions for Nigel, and spat forth a little jet of flame. And as it did so, his brain cleared like magic. He laughed and shook himself as though out of a trance into which he had fallen. The light was still there. What a fool he was, potting at glowworms like a madman! He shut the window with a bang and started to undress, and then went over to the door as he heard the doctor's voice outside. Thought I heard a shot, Nigel. What? You did. I'm a silly ass and have been potting at those beastly flames, returned Merriton shamefacedly. For heaven's sake, don't tell the other fellows. They'll think I've gone loony. And for a moment I believe I had. But there's no harm done. Potting at those flames? The doctor's voice was almost concerned. Then he shrugged his shoulders. Oh, well, there's nothing in it. I must say I've taken a chance shot now and again at a bird myself from my bedroom before now. Still... Get to bed, Nigel, like a good fellow, and have some sleep. Here, give me the pistol. You'll be potting at me before I know where I am. 
I'll take it into my room, thank you. Right you are. Merriton's laugh rang more normally, and the doctor nodded with pleasure. Good night, doctor. Good night. Then the door closed again, and the house dropped once more into stillness. In ten minutes Merriton tumbled into bed. He slept like a log. He hadn't seen the doctor drop that sleeping draught into that last whisky while Tony West kept him talking. That was why he slept. Later on, however, his shame at his own foolishness in firing his pistol at mere flames of the night was the cause of grave difficulty. For when he related the story of the whole affair to Cleek's master mind, he left that out, and very nearly was it his own undoing, for strange was to be the outcome of that shot in the night. End of chapter 6